Brandon Kyle Goodman, and welcome to Black Folks. On this show, I have the honor of talking to Black people of various identities about our lives and how being Black has shaped our experiences. This week, I'm super excited to bring you an interview with social justice advocate, community organizer, and unapologetic queer Black person, Amber Hikes. And they are no joke either, honey. Hikes is the first chief equity and inclusion officer for the American Civil Liberties Union, also known as the ACLU. There, they provide vision, leadership, and direction for the ACLU's nationwide strategy to support equity, diversity, and inclusion across all aspects of the organization's work and efforts. Hikes has been recognized nationally by Out Magazine as Community Organizer of the Year in the 2018 Out 100 and by Business Equality Pride as one of the 40 LGBTQ leaders under 40. We talked about our first black girl group that we fell in love with and the moment when Amber knew they could directly affect and change systemic oppression. Now, a bit of housekeeping. If you hear a lot of cutting out from the sound, it's because it's still quarantine, honey, and we are recording on Zoom. But we were having us a good old time. Lots of laughter, okay? Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you subscribe, rate, comment, or tell somebody about us. And one more thing, uh, you know, I've been having a blast doing these conversations and these interviews, and it has been so rejuvenating and insightful and healing for me. Um, But I do have to take a little bit of hiatus, honey. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, there's a lot going on. (laughs) You know, she has to write her book, okay? Just do a lot of other things right now. Uh, So we're going to take a little bit of a a hiatus, but y'all know I'm around, you can always find me on these internets. I'm always in these internet streets, okay? So without any further ado, here is my conversation with the one and only Amber Hikes. Um, okay, so before we get in, because I could already tell we're going to have us a, a good old time, I'm going to have you introduce yourself and you can start with your pronouns. Okay, I'm glad to. Uh, my name is Amber Hikes, and I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you, you know, over here, we like to ask a little black folks question before we get into the to the big question. But the little black folks, which I can't believe that we haven't asked this on the show yet, because I grew up on this, but what is your favorite black girl group? <laughs> I know it's a hard one. People are going to want to fight. I know they're going to want to fight, but we're going to do we'll it anyway. Come for me. We'll have them come for me. <laughs> Black girl group. We talk about like a singing group. Yes, yes, a black girl singing group. That's what we're talking about. Child, child, child. I know. You know what? I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it somewhat old school, not too controversial. Okay. I'm gonna go with TLC. I'm gonna go with TLC, and I'm gonna tell you why. Why? Please. Yeah, child. Because you know what? It was a little something for everybody. It was a little something for everybody in, 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 with TLC. Um, I felt like as a queer young person too, like I could see myself, like parts of my identity represented in each of them. <laughs> each yes. of those, right? You got a little, got a little ratchet, little real. You yes. got a little prim, little proper, but everybody had their little uh, sporty spice look. <laughs> like, like, very much <laughs> authentic. 
to how my little queer ass was moving through the world back in those days. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely going with TLC. Like, for, okay, for sure. I will say that I like. I thought Destiny's Child. I was going to pick a. I was going to pick a time frame. I'm going to be honest. Here. I was going to mm-hmm. pick an era because that's important. But True. I'm sticking with TLC. And you know why that's perfect? Because mine is Destiny's Child. So we are fully represented here. (laughs) I'm glad you you were right there with the assist. Like, right. (laughs) I got you. I'll pick up where you left off. Mine is Destiny's Child. uh, And I've I've been a fan since since the beginning. Since uh, no, 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 no. Latoya and Latavia. Yes. Uh, And, you know, it's funny. I was, uh, I am... as some people know, in the middle of writing my book, because I'm going to be an author. <laughs> and I was talking about being in middle school and how, like, I didn't know that I was <laughs> gay, but yet uh, the boys were, you know, into wrestling and sports. The girls were into NSYNC, and I was into Destiny's Child. <laughs> how did I not know? <laughs> Charting your own path. I appreciate that. Adventure. I had my locker was just full of Destiny's Child photos, you know, with their Tina yeah. Knowles outfits. What? what? what I like what they, when they when they when they had questions, you're like, oh, I just I think they're so hot. Like I just <laughs> so you already know. You already know. That's what I would say. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. They're so sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you out here crying? <laughs> the kids were like, aha, bullshit. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, bullshit. <laughs> but I, let me tell you, Dusty's Child got me through a lot. I, I had many, uh, many a concert in my bedroom. <laughs> Oh, hitting every move. Uh, Redoing some new choreography for them. I would always imagine, you know, they would call me up and be like, hey, Branton, you know, we're having trouble with these steps. Can you? (laughs) (laughs) What took you so long? I've been. Ben had these moves ready. Ben, I've I've choreographed your entire world tour. What are we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you the big black folks question. Oof. Are you ready? You be taking a turn on me. I'm a, yeah, it's a, it's always a hard lap. It's always a hard lap. <laughs> we'll get through. Yes. <laughs> we'll get through. So the big black folks question is, um, oh, when did you know you could directly affect or change the systems created to oppress black folks? Hey, that's a big one. <laughs> child, man. You know, that's my favorite food. Shit. <laughs> Ooh, child. Give it to me one more time. Man. Give yeah. It to me. When did you know that you could directly affect or change the systems created to oppress black folks? Yeah. The systems. What I'm so what I'm what I'm going through right now and um what I'm navigating right now, I'm I'm being like I was an English major and undergrad. Mm-hmm. I'm like thinking I'm being very thinking very intentionally, because I know you chose your words particularly. And so I'm like, when did I know? Right now, like, when did I try? Not like, you know, what, what was my first attempt? Like, when did I know? Yes. Like, that we could change systems, right? Not not people, not concept, like systems. Yes. When did I know that we could change systems? The answer is probably a little disappointing to myself. Mm. Because I think that I was... I'll preview that I think that I was doing this work for a long time before I knew. Like, mm. I believed. I believed. 
But before I knew, not until it happened, not yeah. until I saw it, right? Like I was, I was moving by faith, not by sight for so long. Sure. And it wasn't until I actually saw it and I, I saw like the part that I was able to have in it, my communities were able to have in it, right? And other activists and organizers, that's when. And systems on a systemic level, it probably wasn't until recently. Like mm. I would say 2017, 2018, it would have been in my work in, in the mayor's office. It would have been my work in the mayor's office and the work that I was doing around um, the incarceration of trans, trans and non-binary folks. Mm. Um, the work that we were doing there and the work that we were doing with the, with the police department as well, which is like very, there's a whole, that's a whole nother conversation, right? Very strange work to be doing as a person who was an abolitionist or a student of abolition at, at the time to mm -hmm. be working in those systems, those systems that you deeply want to eradicate and abolish, but also your community, your family are currently incarcerated. So you don't have the like, especially in my position, didn't have the luxury of not engaging in that mm. way to get these folks out, right? You had to get these folks out. Um, and so you had to talk to the powers that be, the systems that be. And it wasn't until we were able to pass, like I, I was able to, with my office and community members, pass um, legislation and policy um, that that supported trans and non-binary folks who yeah. were in police police custody. Um, yeah, it wasn't until that that I was like, oh, shit, like the people, like we, we cannot just have a seat at this table, but we can actually move the needle on this, right? Yeah. And it's not, it's not abolishment, yet. like it's not that. And also people are incarcerated today. People need us to change the system today. Mm. And we were able, we were able to do that. We were able to move that needle so the folks that are coming behind us, they get to start in a different place, right? And so, like that's like that's activism one on one, right? Is to be able to celebrate those those incremental changes. If you don't, <laughs> if you yeah. don't, you know, you're not gonna, you're not long for that work. But um, anyway, that I think that that was probably it's a disappointing answer. Right? It's not something I thought about before. I don't think it's I disappointing. You don't it's think not so? disappointing, but like it's. You, <sighs> What is it? Because it's not disappointing. And yet I can see how you would say it's disappointing, but it's it's not a reflection on you so much as a reflection, I think, on what we're indoctrinated in, right? Yes. We're, 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 we're brought up to believe that the system doesn't change and that you kind of have to accept how everything is. And that's just what your parents did and their parents did and their parents did. And so you just keep moving forward. And so then there's that moment and some for some people has earlier later when you switch and you're like oh i could have been doing this all along maybe that's what's disappointing yeah yeah i mean but that's like see that's that's the thing i always believed it was possible right mm -hmm. like i come from a long line of activists organizers educators like and like proud black folks just like generations of proud black folks that fought and made their own change but there were some pieces of it that felt more removed from me because i hadn't right this is this is my this is my folks legacy right it's a birthright it's my people's history in a certain way but for me to know that it was a possibility that, that, that for me to know that it was possible for me to help enact that change, that didn't come until much later. When mm. I could see pieces of myself reflected in these stories that I had heard from, from my mother, my grandmother, you know, my grandfather, those kind of folks, folks that had been involved in, like, in civil rights, especially in the South for, for, for decades. But it was different when it came to like, what, is, what, what was my place in that story and for my community? 
Uh, what was my place in that story? How did it change you uh, when? How did it change you when you realized you're like, oh, I can affect change? How did that? How did that change you internally? Oh, my gloves were off then. That that was it. That was it. And you know what it was? What, what snapped about it? Right? Was um was the position and the moment. And there had been some because you were you were asking about systemic changes, right? There were some other kind of like broad change, like cultural changes, community changes, the things like that were happening. But the systemic piece, I go like immediately to the to the carceral system and the prison industrial complex because like you know the that is the system that is. Yeah. Yes. That we should be looking at. And I've, I've navigated a lot of them, but that is the system. Um, but I recognize it was like, this is a function. Our success here is a function of where I am in this system at this time. Right. And I think that's such an important lesson for, for those of us who are in the movement and doing movement work. Right. And you know this well, like finding ways to use the platforms and the positions of power that we have wherever they are um, to be able to move for change. And that's what it was for me when I was like, Oh, I couldn't have done this a year ago. Mm. I couldn't have done this two years ago. I couldn't have done this very particular work when I was outside of City Hall or on the streets, like pushing for that change there. We're saying the same thing over there, but you're moving me needle in a different way now that I'm at this table. And who knows, in a couple of years, I'll be on the other side of City Hall again, and my place will be different at that time. But yeah. I was able to push this work in this particular way because of this position at this moment. And so at that point, it clicked and it was like, oh, that's it. Run the ball down the field. Run, 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 run. Get it all, get it all through as fast as you can because it's about this moment. It's about this moment. Yeah. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You know, for me, I don't uh, like you. For me, the the re- the realization that we could make systemic change is re- is relative. It's even newer for me. It's within the last not even a year. Right. Um, and, and like you, what I love that you said, it's like it's not that I, I didn't believe that it could happen. Like you believe that it could happen, but like oh, can I play a position in this? Is a yeah. different. So I, you know, it's it's relatively new for me in terms of being like, oh, there is a position that I can play inside of this change. And I think part of that is also to your point in being specific with our words is what systemic means and what are the systems. And I think that what I, in reflecting, it's like, I think I always knew as a black queer person, mm-hmm. I could feel uh, I could feel that I was up against something, but I didn't have a name for it, yeah. right? Like, yes. I knew what prisons were. I knew what poverty is. I knew what education and, and welfare and, and all these uh, systems that are in place. But I didn't understand. Somebody said this to me, actually, uh, maybe years ago. Um, we were talking about uh, systemic racism and how... 
there are white people in boardrooms who know what they're doing. They might not even like, it's not that they hate black folk or or they don't give it's like they understand the power. It's different than like, I hate these black people or I hate these folks or they're not, or I'm less, or I'm better than them or I'm supreme than them. Right. Like there's white supremacy in that regard. But then there's this also this other thing, which is like, I do know that they're great. I do know black folk are great and I got to keep them in their place. And so here are the systems that we are going to continue to enact to keep them in place, which is different than hatred, right? Would you say it's different than... Oh, it's so different. It's so different, right? Like there's a strategy. You're talking about the strategy behind it, right? And hatred doesn't necessarily have a strategy. But when we're talking about systemic, and we're talking about systemic racism in particular, we're talking about the system of white supremacy, right? Because there's like layers of white supremacy. People conflate white supremacy with white supremacists. When we're talking about white supremacy, we're talking about white supremacy culture, right? And Mm. the system that feed into white supremacy. So absolutely, there is a strategy behind that kind of systemic racism, right? And we know since the nation's founding, like the fabric of American society has been woven with deeply racist policies, practices, attitudes that harm black and indigenous people of color, right? That, that's that's the system, that's the intention. And so, I mean, you know, obviously I'm not gonna go on my whole ACLU <laughs> so much, right? We're talking, about, we're talking about, oh, but we'll go into it, but it's like, Institutional racism, systemic racism, well-documented in America, right? Like slavery, Jim Crow, redlining, right? Like always state-sponsored discrimination that prevented Black folks from accumulating any kind of generational wealth and political power. Like it's built into the system and it's the strategy that's so insidious, right? I'm trying to, I need to keep this. Okay, let's build these systems to keep me and my power here and those other folks out, right? Yeah, it's the strategy behind it that makes that, that separates it from your uh, your run of the mill hatred. Yes, and the strategy is also what prevented somebody like me from knowing that it was a system, right? Because to your point, it's like when we talk about redlining, we talk about Tulsa, we talk about um, we we talk about any we talk about uh, trans icons uh, that we don't talk about in education in our in our okay. communities. Okay. It's like those things are purposefully left out of. Uh, the textbooks. That's right. That's and right. I was saying to somebody, I, I think it was talking to Ashley Marie Preston. I think this was that conversation. And I was saying uh, that when Hidden Figures came out, the movie, yeah. I it blew me away, not just because of the the talent of that cast and the 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 story, but I was like, I never even thought to ask if black people and black women were part of NASA. That wasn't even like, do you know? Wow. Wow. I never even thought to, to think that that would be a possibility. I feel you. I feel you. And that's, that's, again, that's what's so insidious about it. Right. Because it, it loops into the, these are the, like, I, I have so many thoughts about like the, the narratives that we are told and the, the, the narratives we tell about ourselves and how those become the legacies. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I believe Ashley was talking about like the victors telling the story. Right. And it, that's actually pulled from this um, Zimbabwean uh, proverb about like when the lion, when, until the lion tells his side of the story, the tale of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. Right. Child, like that. Shit. Right. The tale of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. And so that goes back to this piece of white supremacy. It goes back to the narratives that we tell. You have got to rewrite history, right, in a way. The the oppressor has to rewrite history in a way to keep you subjugated, to keep you believing in this narrative, right? Mm -hmm. To your point that 
There couldn't possibly be black BIPOC mathematicians, right? There couldn't possibly be folks that that, that are responsible for some of the greatest, BIPOC folks are responsible for some of the greatest inventions in, 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 in this world and in this country, right? So it's, it's, just, it's just that. It's about the hunter telling the story. Um, yeah. 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 It, it'll, like, <laughs> Rachel Cargill, you know, I think talks about, you know, the great unlearning, right? It's like, oh, yeah, like, fuck. There's so much to <laughs> unlearn and so much to learn when you start to pull the veil back and start to think about, you know, how can you impact systemic change and all that stuff. It's like, oh yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> it's like wild to just think there's just so much that I do not know and did not know and wasn't able to articulate. And most importantly, how the system that currently exists is so brilliant is that I never even thought to question mm-hmm. that brought to question it. You know what? And this is the this is the importance of our educators. This is the importance of our communities and our families, like helping us to learn these stories and push for th- this education, whether it's inside or outside the classroom. Like when you were talking, I was thinking about, again, like bonding over uh, literature and language. I was thinking about an AP English course I took in high school. And uh, let me just tell you, I'm going to share this story with you. Oh, God, I haven't talked about this in so long. So, um, so I was I went to school in Georgia. I went to high school in Georgia. And there's a whole thing about like, so did uh, I. Yeah, we're in Georgia. Fayette County, Georgia, the thirty miles south of Atlanta. Come on, Fayette County. I went to school in Rome, Georgia. <laughs> Come on, Rome. <laughs> we will we will key key about going yes. to school in Georgia, child. Can I tell you? It's so interesting when I tell people about kind of like my, my, my high school years, especially in uh, junior and senior year, it's around the time they were taking the Confederate flag off the Georgia state flag. Mm. And I am not a person, I'm not old enough. <laughs> when people say they're like, child, how old are you? Not old enough for that to be in my recent memory. <laughs> but, yep, yep. So they were taking this, and it, it just, it, it led to uh, race riots, racial tensions in the school, obviously, right? And uh, Fayette County is actually quite conservative. So we had these white kids coming in with like Confederate flag, um, uh, shirts and just harassing the shit out of not just BIPOC kids, right? Like any, any of the freaks and the weirdos and the queers and who have anybody that was different, right? Mm-hmm. So they would start the, we start the day with these, these, these rednecks. I mean, they were self-identified, like they identify as rednecks. These rednecks like doing donuts in a parking lot with um, playing Dixie on the, on their, on their speakers, waving the Confederate flag at the back of the pickup truck, like just harassing, harassing us. But I say this to give you this some context for, for the environment. So we in my AP student class, we had some kind of, you know, like, I don't know, kind of a capstone project at the end of the at the end of the semester. And the teacher said, here's a list. Right. He essentially gave us like the canon. Right. Here's the list of the stories you could choose from to write this this thesis on. child. Can I tell you, not a damn book written by a person of color on the whole Mm. damn list. Not a single one. Mm. If there was one, there were there were books that were written about people of color, people of color being subjugated, being oppressed, whatever, right? Sure. So my mom said, okay. Did your professor say that you can um that you that you could um you know pick pick your own book and make sure that he signs off on it? I said, no, mom, I don't think he I don't think he said I don't know, I don't know if we can do that. She's like, that, that's that's what we're gonna do. You gonna go ahead, you gonna we're gonna write. You gonna go ahead, you're gonna tell him this is what you this is what you're gonna read. So child, don't you know she sent me in there? 
And I was going to read a biography of Nat Turner. Oh. That was going to be my book. Oh. And I was like, Mom, like, Nat Turner? Yeah, child, we're going to, you're going to do a report on the slave rebellion. And I killed all them white folks right down the <laughs> top. Don't you know that's exactly what the fuck I did? Absolutely. Anyway, thanks to our, our ancestors. And <laughs> let me tell you something that uh, a, a teacher cannot fight with. It is a black mother. Let me tell you that right okay. now. <laughs> she, was, she was not the one. She was not the one at all. I said, okay, we got you. That's her. <laughs> That's it. When a black mother is like uh, done with the syllabus and the curriculum, you just say, yes, ma'am. Right. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yeah. Right about this, this rebellion. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's wild for me when you were talking about the Confederate flag. It's funny. Uh, a few months ago or before the virus uh, hit, so uh, maybe it was longer than a few months ago, mm-hmm. I reunited with my high school roommate because I went to boarding school in Rome, Georgia. Oh, I went to Darlington school. Um, and Darlington is white um, white 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 uh, white uh, but like I, when we, I bring this up to talk about education because you were talking about the confederate flag and my friend who was my roommate we're both black we were but we are both black uh, he reminded me of a photo that we took mm. and the photo and I'm going to tell you right now because I feel like is, it's going to come out at some point. The photo is the two of us dressed as like, I guess we were doing our best like golf kind of white person, whatever, in front of a Confederate flag. So it's two black boys in front of a Confederate flag. Oh, my God. Oh my God. I, I, I hope it, it's, I hope the photo is burned, but I'm telling you, <laughs> if it comes out, I'm no, telling that's you. That's all right. You're just being transparent. I'm just being transparent. I was, I was 14 years old. You can't, you know, the, the sins of a 14 year old. When he reminded me of that last year, I was like, damn, we did not know. We like our like we we weren't taught to examine what the like, we just we were just so clueless. Yeah, you know, we, neither of us are from the South, so like I had never come in contact with the Confederate flag or knew what it was or anything like That's that. So and it wasn't being taught, like we weren't in our history, like, you know, our history class, like I learned about Egypt, honey, I learned about the Iroquois, I learned about uh, Greece, but nobody taught me about, you know, American history or black history, uh, we, right. you know, that stuff wasn't spoken about. And so it was like, wow, here are these two 14-year-old black boys thinking it's funny to be in front of this flag, not understanding the the pain and mm. the the devastation that comes around this flag. And it's just like, oh, yeah. And we weren't taught to question it. We weren't taught to go, hey, white boys, why do you want us to pose in front of this flag? <laughs> wow. Oh, that shit is so violent. Like, this, is, this, is so, this is so wild to me. You know, it's, it's interesting. Because I had this experience. I, was, um, I went to, like, middle school. And, uh, yeah, it was mostly middle school up in the north. Um, but we were a southern family. So we just did, like, did a couple years in the, in the north. And we came back down the south. And all my family's from the south, right? Like, just generations and generations of black folks from the south, as I've mentioned. So this history was, like, it, we were indoctrinated with this. Like, mm-hmm. very much understood the harm. I mean, at the time. 
time also I was in Atlanta because my mother was at uh, Spelman College. She was a vice president of student affairs and dean of students at Spelman, right? So I would go, it was like this, this kind of strange cognitive dissonance that would happen that I would be on this like deeply kind of racist, being this deeply racist high school, kind of a very similar experience that you're having. But then my weekends would be in the AUC, right? And be kicking it between Spelman and Morehouse and mm. like the Mecca, for black learning and leadership mm. and education and community. And it was this like deep cognitive dissonance. I'm so grateful for it because I think I, I you know, I, I don't think I necessarily would have fallen to the sunk, sunken place. There was no way my mom was gonna let that happen, right? Yeah. But, but there had been such an emphasis on the violence that white folks had done to us for, for generations, right? Partly because of like, you know, my mom's own activism and her own interests and like what her what her work looked like at the time. So, but it's, it's fascinating to talk about like even how your experience of that Confederate flag would be because of the, because of the previous experiences or lack of experiences you had had. Yes. Like I can tell you, I was, I was called the N word very first time when I was four years old, like know exactly where I was, what happened. Like, I don't have many memories before 10. <laughs> trauma, yes. child, trauma. But like, I remember, I remember that. I remember that. And I remember the first time I saw the Confederate flag. And I remember the first time I saw the Klan in, in hoods. Like, I remember this. Oof. And this is, I'm not, an, I'm not an old enough person to have these experiences, right? But a lot of folks in the South, my age, have absolutely had them and so many more. You know what's funny for me about going to school in the South? It's like, I, so I'm first generation American. My family is from Trinidad. And I think that's also part of why, like, a lot, I didn't learn a lot of American history because it just wasn't my mother or my grandmother's history. And so if I wasn't learning it in school, they also didn't necessarily, it wasn't, you know, <laughs> their thing. But when I went to school in Georgia, baby, I was like, oh, what? Like, I got chased by the KKK once. You know, I heard the N-word more times than I would like to say. And you're like, oh, shit. What is, like, oh, what? What is this? <laughs> this oh, y'all like, racist, racist. Like, what the? Oh, fuck. Y'all like. Oh, that's what you talking about. Oh, this was like a, I thought this was like in the movie. Like I saw Amistad. Like I thought that's what they did. Like, but like y'all are doing this <laughs> in <God>. full, <laughs> truly. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, y'all really still out here on this? Okay, my sister is still in Georgia, and I remember, and she didn't really fuck with the North like that. She's always stayed in in, in the South, and uh, and she thinks we're too cold and kind of distant or whatever. And I was like. Child, but but also you drive down the street and like you don't blink your eyes at a Confederate flag. Like these y'all's white folks are like y'all they're wild down there. Y'all they are. <laughs> well, you know, who knows? Like Stacey Abrams is Georgia's different Georgia, right? Like, sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Georgia together. But I had the same experience. I was like, oh, y'all still, oh, oh, y'all still doing like they do in the movies. Okay. Absolutely. Literally, it's like this is you know, for high school, like, this is 2005. I'm truly confused as to what y'all are doing. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm so with you. I'm so with you. Yes. And so, you know, like, I think that I, I'm actually really grateful that I went to high school in the South as much as a tumultuous of experience it was being black down there. You know, I hadn't identified it yet, but obviously queer down there as well. Um, you know, like, I'm grateful for that experience because it. I think it was... You know, I think it leads me to where I am today because it kind of opened me to the eyes that like, oh, yeah, like I would love to live in a post-racial world like the U.N. school, but that is not the world we are. That's not where we are. That's not where we are. And that's that's important, though, right? These are the conversations we've been having for, for the whole year, for the whole year, but many of us have been having it much longer than that. 
we have got to, and there's so many folks that speak so much more eloquently on this, but we have got to have a serious racial reckoning in, in, in this country. Mm. And not just about the harm that continues to be done to uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color, right? But the but the the harm that has been done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Yes. I know that Brian Stevenson speaks about it like, so brilliantly about, about the ways that other countries have dealt with and have reckoned with um, uh, their their holocausts and they have a reckoned with like deep oppression against certain communities and the United States just has not done it has absolutely not done it in the way that it needs to be done so that we can move on to a place of healing right mm. at all and reparations are of course of course part of that um, but like within that has to be a deep, serious reckoning for this country about the harm that has been done and the harm that continues to be done um, it's still in this day and age. And so I, you know, I, I, I have deep hopes for, for us being able to have those conversations in more authentic ways um, in the coming years. But, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. We haven't done, we haven't done it to the extent that we need to. Um, Reckoning with like again, we were talking about slavery and um, and redlining and Jim mm-hmm. Crow, right? Like and mass incarceration, right? Of yes. Course. Um, we just we just have not done it, and there's no way that we are going to be uh, a country where we the people truly means all of us until we do that necessary work. How do you? And I know that there's not a, <clears throat> you know, I ask this question sometimes, and I know there's not a perfect answer. But what I've been saying to people is like. You know, when we talk about taking action, it's like your action is not going to be perfect right away, but you but you do need to take action, right? Like, right. you know, it, we, we're only going to learn if we if we do some shit and then, you know, if it doesn't work, we do some new shit, we make it better. But how do you muse, if we were to muse together, how do you think or what are one of the ways that you think that we begin to have to begin to actually reckon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, you know, I just mentioned, I mentioned Brian Stevenson. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm having a few thoughts, right? So I'm thinking about it because we were talking about systems, right? So I'm thinking about it in a systemic kind of a macro level, but I'm also thinking about the micro individual level, especially because of like the, the work that I do, right? Like the activism work, but also the work that I do in my full-time job with the ACLU. So much of it is actually about changing individuals and getting folks further on their path um, to dismantle white supremacy culture, right? Um, but I'll talk about it like from a macro perspective, talking about the country and the reckoning the country has to do. So I mentioned Brian Stevenson, and of course his museum that's in that's in Montgomery is starting to do that work, like truly starting to build a monument, right? Like they built these monuments that hold space for the 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 black folks that we lost during mm. during slavery, right? It's like it's lin- literally a lynching memorial. Mm. And so those are hallowed grounds in, in Montgomery. And this time last year, had an opportunity to go down there and, and be in that space. And I'm, you want to talk about just gut wrenching, like you feel the, the pain of your ancestors mm. in a way that you um, you never could imagine. For those of us who have any ancestors, and in the South in particular, there are these stones, right, of of folks who were victims of of lynchings, and in all the states, and the cities, and the counties. Um, in 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 the south and so like and 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 beyond so just like so that that's one of the spaces like an actual physical monument like a physical space where we can say we will never forget right mm. that part when you think about how we heal and reconcile harm right you have to acknowledge the harm you have to you have to put it there you have to speak to it you have to say it explicitly right and so actually having a physical space 
where we say this happened and mm. we will never, ever forget. Again, other countries have been able to do this work. And then after you have that, you take, you, you take to getting to the deep intentional work of actually starting to pull apart the system. Right. We talk about mass incarceration. Right. We talk about like healthcare has to be has to be because we have to talk about when we talk about reparations. Right. Because reparations is another step of this to talk about redistributing wealth to communities that have been, again, systemically left out, of, left, left out of the table, left away from these kinds of decisions. Right. So all of that work happens on the, on the macro level. But on the micro level, because I know all of this feels overwhelming for folks who were especially for folks who were new in this journey, new in movement work. It starts with, unsurprisingly, getting your shit together, cleaning your own damn house, right? <laughs> my work is intersectional work, child. It's intersectional. I've got a list of stuff that I know that I need white folks to do, but we all have work to do, right? Like I talk about like, I'm a queer, black, AFAB person, like for sure, like an AFAB, I mean, um, assigned female at birth person. And I got work to do. I got work that I can do on um, dismantling ableism when it shows up. I got work to do on dismantling transphobia wherever it shows Mm -hmm. up internally, externally, right? I've got so much work to do on my solidarity and my allyship with with folks who are immigrants, right? Like that's that's not my experience. We have that different experience there. You can always find work in your allyship and your accomplishment. But child, white folks... White folks, especially cis white he- folks, y'all got the most work to do. So get the fuck started. <laughs> get the fuck started because some of us are tired. <laughs> really are tired. But you yes. gotta, gotta start interrogating that shit in you. That's where it starts. And then get your people. God, collect your damn people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna the soapbox in a minute, maybe. <laughs> I love that. Clean your damn house and collect your own people. <laughs> Go collect your cousins. Get out of my inbox. Go collect your folks. Clean that house. That is so real. <laughs> You know, I think that I, I love that you say that because I do think, you know, a lot of people are, especially in the last nine months, you know, really new to this work, both white people and black people and, you know, uh, POC. And so it can feel overwhelming when we think about how do you make systemic change? And what we're talking about earlier of like, you know, by sight, but not necessarily, you don't have the evidence for it. And I think a lot of times people stop because it's like, that seems big. (laughs) When you talk about abolishing prisons, somebody goes, that seems like a lot. And if you don't have the same investment that some of us have in that because you're not black and brown, there isn't a, you know, a school to prison pipeline for you, you know, you kind of lose your investment in that. But which doesn't make an excuse, but I'm just understanding how like human brains work. But if you can start with your home, if you can clean your house, as you say, uh, and build out from there, because everybody has something. And I love that you say that too, you know, even as black queer folk, we have people that we need to be allies to and that everybody has a level of privilege and they can use that privilege to support other people. Now, some people got more privilege. Okay. You got more work to do, right? Exactly. You know, but this idea that it's really like, it really does, all of it really does start with you, your house being you, like what books are you reading? What questions are you asking? If you're a parent, like, have you checked, like your mom did, what's that curriculum, <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. What, and it's, what, it's constant work, Brandon. It is constant mm. 
active work because of what you were saying at the top of this, right? Like you didn't, it's beyond what you didn't know. You didn't know what you didn't know. You didn't know what you needed to ask about knowing. Like you didn't, there's so much that we just don't have access to. So like, what is, like you need to be asking those questions and you use like, for instance, like abolishing prisons as, as an example. Like if you are, if you are interested in being a student of abolition, like start asking yourself, start asking questions of yourself. Like, why do you feel like the prison industrial complex is the answer to our societal issues, right? Mm. In the same way, we're talking about abolishing the police, right? Why do you feel like police are the answer to these societal issues? Why are they the answer to mental health crises? Why are they the answer to domestic disturbances? Why are police the answer to, to any of this, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to start doing that that work for yourself, right? We're, we have no problem educating ourselves on other topics. We have to be willing to lean into some of these more challenging ones. Yes. And, you know, I, I had interviewed on a different show, Dr. Kira Banks, and she was like, you know, we have to be willing to dream up new solutions, That's you it. know, That's to it. your point. It's like, ask yourself, why are the police the answer to this? Or why is the prison system? And then like, get, get curious about that and then dream up other ways that things could work and could be. It's like we, we you know, it's just this, this robotic don't disturb <laughs> the, the 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 status <laughs> quo. Don't mm-hmm. you know? And it's like no, that doesn't that doesn't work. We didn't get we as much work as we have to go. We didn't get to this place by people not questioning, by people okay. not rebelling, by people not being curious, and by people not learning. The only reason we're able to you and I sit here and not be afraid in every single moment. Obviously, there's a lot of fear, but, you know, that our lives are different than our parents' lives and their parents' lives is because somebody in that generation was asking questions, was getting curious, and was putting in the work to create that systemic change. And there's still plenty of work to do, obviously, but I think getting curious and staying curious and cleaning your house and collecting your <laughs> collecting your people that's a big thing don't tag me honey don't <laughs> uh-uh, uh-uh, don't at me honey go get your folks go get your people go get that's your friend not, okay that's my ministry that's not my ministry <laughs> I, I went to a party and um this is like when we still thought it was okay to gather in like six or five. And I one person, some white dude said something so out of pocket. And his fiance was like, I don't agree with him, but you you should get him. You should tell him. You should put him in his place. And I was like, I'm just trying to have some charcuterie and cheese, honey. Like, I'm not here <laughs> to educate <laughs> your Man. fiance. Ma'am, that is not my business. You better go get that man. No, that is not my ministry or my labor. Ma'am. Damn. I'm here for the wine. Like, <laughs> please. This, like, this is what, child, I, I'm telling you, you were speaking, you're speaking my language because this is the work that I do all the time. Like this, I've been saying it for years and years and years. It is not the labor of the folks who are marginalized, the folks who are oppressed, to be mm. interrogating and engaging with the oppressor. This is your work. This is your work to go collect yes. and call in your folks. Like, that's it. That's it. And people Period. have to be, and we know this, we know this in all of our work, that the messenger matters, right? The messenger matters. And so mm. yet people are going to hear it from you. 
differently than they're going to hear it from my black queer ass. Yeah. So, so go get in their ear. Right. And if they're not trying to hear it from you, you got to be that squeaky wheel. You got to be that squeaky wheel so somebody else doesn't have to. Like that's it. You can't be out here calling yourself an ally or accomplice and you're not willing to do that work. That's, yes. that's the first work. That's the period. first work. I don't need you doing anything else. I need you to go clean up that house. Uh, <laughs> period. So my last question is, you know, you said at the beginning you had to figure out what was your place inside of all this. And so now in this moment in 2021, what do you think your place is inside of this reckoning and this fight and this um, this push for for better and greater? What do you think your your place is in this? Oh, my God. I'll tell you. Oh, this is such a this is such a, a big question. Um so somebody has been doing this work for a long time in different capacities, right? Like right now I'm at the ACLU, so doing it in nonprofit capacity. Before that, I did it in government. Before that, I did it in education. Um, before that, was an activist, like doing it in the streets. Yeah. Um, I think what I've, I think the, the fastest answer to that question is that I know what it is today. I'm doing it. I'm where I need to be. I don't know what it is tomorrow. And by tomorrow, I mean next year, the year mm-hmm. after. I think for my like my work in in movement space is like it's to go where the need is, right? That's partly what I did at the city, and 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 clearly they needed to be there at that time. Was able to like you know make you know be able to introduce that beautiful flag with black and brown stripes for yes. black and brown folks, right? So like being able to be in a space to uplift a thing at the moment, but I I don't know what it's going to be because I want to be responsive to the movement, to the communities, to the people. Mm. Um, the thing that's coming up for me right now is that my mom, my mom passed in 2009, uh, but she said, uh, never forget who you are and whose you are. Mm. And she would say that to me all the time. It, yes. it was, it's layered, right? Like my mom was a, she was a powerful kind of a woman of faith, right? And so in some ways she meant like, don't forget that you're a, a child of God, right? Yes. Like in that kind of, but she also meant don't be out here in these streets making a fool of me. Like, don't forget that you're my child. Don't yes. forget who you are in that sense. But there's a third piece that's like, you are you are Black. You have responsibilities to your community, right? Later, like knowing that I am queer, I have responsibility. I Who I am and whose I am, mm. right? It's like my integrity is rooted in my people and my responsibility to community. So for me, I know that I am where I need to be right now. I do not know where I will need to be next year or the year after that, but I know that I will find that place and I will be there because Mm. I know I never forget who I am and whose I am. And it's always in service to community. I'm quiet because I could literally weep right now. That is one of the most beautiful responses. Uh, I'm going to try and respond to that without being a weeping mess. I just think it's so important for us to remember that, you know, it's really, you know, as black queer people, it's really challenging um, because you feel like, or I feel like I'll speak for myself. There is the fight uh, of mainstream and the system and there's also the fight within the community the black community and there's also the fight within the queer community 
And there's, I know there's so many young black queer folk who feel just like you're on the outside often. And to grow up on the outside, but to still have a fire to fight for everyone, to fight for your community, to fight for people who may not even see you as part of their community. Um, is so special because to me when you say never forget who you are and whose you are yes to to God (laughs) yes to mom but also you belong to the community that's right we belong to each other you know that saying which is very binary but (laughs) I am my brother's keeper but it's like I am my people's keeper you know we all belong to each other and this fight is, is so important and you are so important to this fight. And I'm just so grateful to know um, that even when someone like me is tired, that there's an Amber out there who is still fighting. And I hope Amber, you know that when you're tired, there's a Brandon out there fighting. Um, it's a, yeah. I do, and I, I thank you so much for saying that. I, I look to you. I look to your your presence. I'm not as active on social media as I should be because ACL, <laughs> you keep busy. But I, I look to you, and I look to your words all the time. Like, I'll, I'll be real with you. You know, we, we feel like we're on the other side of something after, um, you know, January 20th and all mm-hmm. that was, right? But, like, this work is bigger than whoever's in the White House. It's more powerful than whatever party is in office, right? Like mm-hmm. this work matters when we have an administration that's fighting with us. It matters when you have an administration that's fighting against us. And we have to just commit that this work, our work always continues. This yeah. is beyond this last moment, right? The last four years, we are at a time in our country and our world's history, I would even say that we are being called to do more for each other, to see, to understand, to like really show up for for one another. And I know that so many of us as children like thought about what we do in times of great injustice. Like what would you do during early American slavery, during 1960 civil rights? Like you don't have to wonder any longer, right? You're doing it right now. Right now. right now. We all gotta do, we all gotta do better. We all yeah. gotta do better. No time for bystanders. Like we are all here. So so I hope you know that like I'm I'm here to lift you up and support you, especially when you're tired. And I know you I know you're doing it for me. You're doing it for so many of us. I got you as well. Oh my goodness, what a conversation. I was about to weep <laughs> like a little baby. All right, well, you know what time it is. It's time for BKG Learning Moments. That's right. For those of you who don't know, this is where I break down what I learned from my conversation with our guest. First of all, Amber and I covered two of the most iconic girl groups. Theirs was TLC and mine was Destiny's Child. Also, Amber knew that they could affect change in 2017 when they worked in the mayor's office in Philadelphia. Uh, You know, they said they always believed, but they were looking for themselves in the story, their position in the story. And I think that's such a beautiful... um, way to say it because I remember, you know, just in the last eight or nine months of becoming more visible in in the conversations about black lives and queer lives and black queer lives, I would say to a lot of my closest friends, I'm still trying to figure out 
what is my position inside of all this? What is my position in this fight? And I think we're all trying to figure that out. You know, there's all, all of us have a position that we play inside of the fight for racial justice, inside of the pandemic, inside of uh, working with this new administration, figuring out what that position is. But I will say to Amber's point at the end, towards the end of our conversation, uh, clean your own damn house <laughs> and collect your people. <laughs> like that, that is a, a perfect position to start, you know, as you develop what your position in the the grand scheme of the story is, it, it is. I really, really believe that it's, it begins internally. You know, I've talked about, I know I've talked about this on Instagram and possibly on one of these episodes about the, the lanes of action, right? Uh, there being political action, there being interpersonal action, and there being interpersonal action. And that interpersonal, that like, what what are you doing for yourself? Um, how are you participating? What are the things that you need to clean up in your house? Both your literal house, where you live with your, your family, if you got kids, you know, what's that syllabus? What's that curriculum? You know, what are you reading? What is your partner or your spouse reading or your roommates? What, are, what content are you engaging with? What unlearning and relearning? are you doing, but also spiritually, you know, and I'm not talking about religion, <laughs> I'm talking about spirit, spiritually, where do you sit inside of this fight? Um, what are you committed to? You know, I had a video that went uh, viral because it was about uh, me saying that all of this is really challenging people's identity as a good person. You know, and like the idea that you're a good person, but you don't, uh, you, you didn't see that people were being killed in the streets, that you didn't understand the plight that black people are experiencing um, and what that means for who you actually think you are. Well, you know, you can sit around and, and cry about not being a good person or whatever it is, or you can get about the business of doing the work. You can get about the business of, of again, cleaning your own damn house and, and collecting your people um, and then grow from there, root out from there. And then you can get up in the streets and then you get up in, in your schools and you get up in, in your grocery store, in your small businesses, you get up in, in the systems in your community, in your neighborhood. And then we get up in the systems in, in the state and then we get up in the systems in the country, you know? Some of y'all are already to get up. You're already ready to get up in the systems of the country, and so go for it. But for those of you who are like, I'm new to this work, again, <laughs> start at home, baby. Start at home. There's so much that all of us um, can do, even as Black people. You know, us talking about everybody got some level of privilege. Most all of us got some level of privilege. Um, be it race, be it class, be it gender, be it sexuality, and how can you use your privilege to support somebody else? But also to Amber's point, y'all straight white people, y'all got a lot. <laughs> y'all got a, a lot more books to read. <laughs> so, so get to it, honey. And also the idea that this is continuous work, you know? This is not a one and done. This is not a, oh, we fixed it, it's over, or okay, you know, it's 2022, or we're back to normal. No, this is the new normal. Acknowledging our privilege, fighting for black lives, fighting for queer lives, fighting for POC, um, being not just allies, but co-conspirators and accomplices in the fight for racial justice, in the fight for gender equality, in the fight for equity. This is, a, this is, this is the new normal. This is the, 
and the new way of doing things. I also loved our conversation about knowing, you know, it's important that we continue to question the narratives that white supremacy has given us uh, and have a real racial reckoning. Uh, Amber gave the example uh, of their mom making them read the story of Nat Turner for school, you know, and that disconnect of living and learning in racist places, but honoring black excellence. Uh being willing to question the education system. You know, I think all of this really begins at the at the heart of education. The root of all of this is education and being willing to say, oh, what don't I know? And getting curious about what you don't know. Uh, and this also speaks to what we talked about at the end, you know, like, okay, when we talk about systems, police, the system of policing, the system of prisons, the system of um you know, uh, money and the, uh, whatever whatever systems are can you can you be willing to ask, is this working? Are you willing to sit in the discomfort of knowing that there might be better ways? And the last thing I'll bring up, and because it really it, it, it's such a it's such an important reminder, is what um, Amber's mom told her, you know, never forget who you are and whose you are. And yes, this is such a this is such a religious uh, a proverb, um, which is usually, you know, our our family members who are steeped in the church will tell us this. And the whose is uh, God's, you know, and that protection of God. And then there's also, I think, oh, Amber did a beautiful job of giving us the layers. And there's like belonging to your mother, your family. Um, Maya Angelou said that her mother said to her, um, when you leave this house... <laughs> Know that you're raised, that you you don't forget that you were raised. And that idea that like, as your parent, I gave you everything I could and 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 make me proud and don't forget yourself. Don't forget where you come from. I <laughs> one of my best friends from college, uh, hi Nikki. Uh, <laughs> and there was one day we were walking down 14th Street in New York. And there was this big-ass Escalade that rolled by, and the window was down, and it was full of black people, and they were, like, screaming and having a good time. <laughs> and Nikki yelled out from the street, never forget where you came from. <laughs> and that lives with me to this day. <laughs> never forget where you came from. <laughs> if y'all know Nikki, Nikki is... Uh, the sweetest and also so tiny and like dropped it into her base and yelled from the side of the street to this Escalade. Uh, but the lesson is the same. Never forget where you came from. Remember who you are and whose you are. And in this fight, you know, sometimes we get tired, we get drained, it gets overwhelming, it gets exhausting, but we belong to each other. As a community, we belong to each other. And so even if you're tired, don't you worry. There's somebody else that got your back and you rest and you come back in. But we belong to each other. I think that we are in the mess that we're in because, and not, I'm not just talking about black people or queer people, I'm talking about all of us. Um, and it's obviously different in their layers. But I think we're in this mess because everyone's been out for themselves. We've been out for the individual. We've taken care of me and mine. And that's it. As opposed to being concerned about what your neighbor is going through being concerned about what your colleague is going through, being concerned about what that person who doesn't look like you, who doesn't identify as you, who doesn't love like you, um, what they're going through. We belong to each other. So never forget who you are, 
but also never forget whose you are. What about you? What did you learn? You know, I always want to hear from you. Um, you can email me at blackfolkspodcast at gmail.com. And folks, it's spelled how? F-O-L-X. <laughs> well, that's it. That's the show, honey. That's another another episode in the can, as they say. I, why do they call it can? Is it because? I, well, that, that's a different that's a different podcast. <laughs> Don't y'all worry about that here. Anyways, I want to thank Amber for joining me on the show. I love you so much. I'm so happy to have a new sibling in you. Um, and to the listeners, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and comment on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. Also, if you want to see the video version of this interview, it'll be available a week from today on my YouTube page at Brandon K. Good. You can always catch sneak peeks of upcoming conversations on my IGTV page at Brandon K. Good, on Tom Ellis's page at Official Tom Ellis, and on the Black Folks Instagram page at Black Folks, B-L-A-C-K-F-O-L-X. And you know, I want to hear from you. So if you got a question, guest suggestions, you just want to be like, yo, what's up, BKG? You can email blackfolkspodcast at gmail.com. That's spelled B-L-A-C-K-F-O-N-X podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And just in case you haven't heard it yet today, I love you so much. Bye. Star Bands Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.